every media event will have a different size. And whether it's something that you can only do a private tour with 10 through your haunt, or you can have a big red carpet with comp food and drink and a DJ for 500, as long as you are paying attention to who you invite and what their experience is, it will be successful. So you can have something super small to super big. Just make sure you put value in who you're inviting along. Last week, we talked about affordable media outreach for your haunt. But today, we're going to dive into one specific tactic, which is hosting a media night. From the Haunt Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is day 29 of our 61-day Hauntathon, counting down to Halloween. Today is Wednesday, September 29th, and there are 32 days until Halloween. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up to our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. Okay, now back to hosting a media night at your haunt. Today's expert is Tori Elder, owner of Victory Solutions. In the haunt attraction space, Tori is best known for her work with the Queen Mary's Dark Harbor, Dark Horizon, and this year's Temecula Terror. I kicked things off by trying to define exactly what a media night is. Seems like a simple question, but it is pretty loaded. To concise it down, a media night is the opportunity to bring press, bloggers, anyone under the media realm to come and experience your event or your haunt, hopefully in in trade for coverage or an interest to want to share it for coverage. How are you figuring out who you're going to even want to target for the media night? That's a good question. It usually starts with the client. The client will say, we want more traditional press or we want bloggers or we want influencers. Some clients that are smaller, maybe just doing a weekend haunt or more of a haunted house style versus a festival, they want us to tell them who the press is. And we have found it's quite, it's an umbrella. You want a balance of everything. You want your traditional, which would be your broadcast, your print, your online news sites. Bloggers, as we know, are huge in the haunt and horror space. I would say that's how your news can spread fastest. And then thanks to, I would say it was picking up before COVID, but after last year, influencers, podcasts, even the TikTok space for some of the younger generations is really taking off. So I would recommend you want to get a good amount of a little bit of everybody if you want to be successful with media nights. In my brain, I feel like this is resolving into like food pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is like a food pyramid. And it's really based on what the goal is. So if your goal is just awareness, I would say you probably want to have 25% traditional press, maybe like 50 of the blogger and those digital sites, and then 25% influencers. However, if you are looking at your ticket sales is a key one, you're going to want to do 50%. We've always seen broadcast television always has an increase in click rates and ticket sales. But the bloggers and the influencers spread news so quickly and so instantly. So I would say 50-50 between those two and then just pepper in some podcasts and on-air interviews from there. And how are you determining what these goals are? Is it something that you're saying, this is what we suggest, or is it coming from the client, or is it something based on the age of the haunt? A little bit of both. So we start having these conversations probably six months out from when they know the event's going to happen. I know sometimes it's three months in and you're like, we're going to do it. And then we have the conversations then. So it starts with, can we do a media night? When can we do the media night? And what's our capacity? And when we know those three things, then we can start curating our invite list. 
And that invite list will be based on their goal. So we recommend if we're trying to sell more tickets or it's a first year haunt, first year haunted house, and we just need to get the word out there because we know once people know about it, they'll buy the tickets. Then we'll probably we'll make the recommendation of them. This is what we recommend who that invite list is. Our agency has a media list we've curated for years and years, but there's more popping up all the time. So it sounds like to reiterate, the first one is that you and or the client, the haunt, will figure out what the goals are. And you gave two great examples of goals, ticket sales versus awareness, especially if you're a younger haunt. It's more like about awareness as you're older. It's about just pushing tickets because everyone already knows the brand. Exactly. So we pick or pick our goals, then we pick how they can experience their goals. And then we pick what day is that. And that can be tricky depending on the size of your haunt. If you are a bigger haunt, obviously the established Horror Nights, Not Scary Farm, even the Oogie Boogie Bash at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. We, we know when those events are happening. It's it's pretty similar year after year. So being respectful of when theirs are and respectful of haunt bloggers and media that are going to be covering that, keeping that in mind, and then figuring out, is this something we can do? As with Dark Harbor, we've always done it opening night and the press get a special experience ahead of time and then they get to go and enjoy with the rest of the public. Or is it something like we're doing with Temecula Terra this year where it's a whole day earlier and seeing what we can do and what's manageable based on the client's budget. And then we pick that date, we pick that time, and then we start the invites. So I like how when you are looking at making experience, you are very aware of what the calendar is in the area. And so you are not making media choose between one person and another. Exactly. And I can't say it's more than us. Media are your friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We want to make sure that media, if you're going to treat them, how you're going to treat your best friend who's coming to the home. You want them to have the best experience. You don't want it to be a conflict for their schedules. You want to make sure it's at a time and they have enough time to make plans to come to your schedule. So always keep that top of mind, whether it's five bloggers or if you're inviting 500, they are your friends and you want to curate date, time, experience based on what you or your friends would. If if you're not excited, why would anyone else be excited to enjoy it? So how are you figuring out what the experience is going to be for the media at your event? We can have the media experience everything. And if we can comp it for them, that's the ideal approach. Dark Horizon opened in 2019 in Orlando. And that media event was different than what we do for their sister haunt in Dark Harbor. One, it was the first year. And two, but their food and drink was really impeccable compared to some of the other experiences that are out there. So we wanted to highlight that and do more of a Q&A cocktail session before they got to go in and enjoy the event complimentary and allow time for Steve and Charity to to talk with everyone and and share that experience of what they're going to go through that night. But I would say budget is something that really holds some things back for clients. So trying to find a way to give something that's experiential, that's not going to financially harm your haunt or your haunted event, but it is also going to increase the reputation and the experience for those that are coming. So it's really a melting pot of something and usually it takes a couple of weeks of conversations and moving things around to figure out what's right for that specific event. Of course, you always want the regular customer to understand your story as storytellers and as haunters. That's, that's a big goal is for the story to come across. Story drives the experience. But I think it's different with media because media, maybe they're only there for a shorter time than a regular guest would be. And it's really critical that they understand what they are saying when they are talking to other people about it. So how are you making sure that the story is 
conveyed to the media. And you did mention it already a little bit. You mentioned like a Q&A option. You mentioned like the meet and greet. So how are we doing that? A little bit of both. Definitely in our invites, think of your imagery when you send it out. I know when we worked with Epic on the 10th year for Dark Harbor, it was mm-hmm. 10 year, making sure it's the captain. He's You connect with the captain, it connects to the ship in the 10 year. What we've found in the past is everyone's always requesting interviews. So yeah. if we can set up a time before media night or during media night and allow everyone to go and ask their questions, that seems to be uh, most productive for everybody. So usually setting aside, okay, for, for 45 minutes, the producers or the monsters or the creative minds are going to be over here and you can talk to them, have a complimentary drink with them and have this sit down opportunity so you can get that deeper story, deeper coverage. And then again, it's the it all goes back to the experience. They have to experience the story for themselves. And when do you recommend doing a presentation at the media night? I feel like it's so different for every experience. For Haunt specifically, I always recommend middle or end. And the reason being, we want people to be excited when they first come in. Again, it all goes back to if you're not excited, why would the media be excited to be there either? So you want them to come up and have the same experience if they were attending. And it's not going to be so exciting if you sit down for a presentation right away. Um, unless you get to experience it and you walk up and there's fog and there's monsters and here's a cocktail and look at the celebrities walking the red carpet. It, it already feeds into the excitement. Like if every, it's like a tease. Give everyone a little bit of a tease. And then I always make it an opportunity. So if you really wanted to have a sit down presentation, I'd recommend it after like maybe 30, 45 minutes into an experience. So everyone can have a drink, have a snack, unwind, take a look, maybe think through what their questions are going to be based on seeing something in person and then experience it. I, I think that's really good because you, you need to give people time to process it, to come up with questions and to come up with what they actually naturally want to know based as a mm-hmm. follow-up. When we go through it all, we think of all the details of when the event needs to be, how that's going to play out. Then we create the invites and we send the invites and we curate that with a list that we already have or any others that would like to be added. And then as those RSVPs come in, we, we start tracking them. So we can send what we, our team calls as a media advance, which is some of what you were talking about, which has all the details. So it's when they arrive, where they're going to park, who they're going to check in with, what they're going to be, exactly what they're receiving. So there's no confusion. And our team likes to have all press experience and have the same thing. So there's no conflict, regardless if they are television or if they're a blogger or if they're podcast, because everyone's important to us. So I always recommend everyone gets the same thing. Obviously, television gets lights on in mazes, Mm -hmm. but that's just because there's no on and off like we get to have with certain YouTube videos. And then we do our digital press kits. And our digital press kits have all of our photos, press releases, one sheets, all the facts. And it just makes it easier. It makes it easier for you. So you don't have to consistently send it to hundreds of people all day long. It makes it easier for the press so they can pull what information they need instantly and they don't have to wait for us to get back to them. So by the time the press is showing up at this event, they already have all that information in their email as I've received it as well. You have all this information you can pull from, you have all the photos and imagery that you might need to use. You have everything that you need and then you show up and then can experience it as a regular guest. So you can talk about the experience. Exactly. And key for those media advances and fact sheets are of course the social media it's yeah. what we always find, including the social media, including the hashtags. And then sometimes, too, we, we also include certain press like suggested copy. It just makes it easier. Make as Like I said, media your friend. I probably will continue to say that. So making it as easy and as enjoyable for them as possible is your key. 
are you trying to encourage the media to like post during the night of with that kind of stuff? And, and, and why are you, why would you be doing kind of this, some of this stuff, even if it's before the haunt is open in the case of like Temecula Terra? That's a really great question. And we were strategic about when we're doing like Temecula Terra's media night, because it's a first year event, there is going to be an instant push in press coverage, thanks to social media and having social influencers and bloggers on site. So arranging that 24 hours advance, we're going to create FOMO with any of their fans Mm -hmm. or readers. Um, However, some traditional press or podcasts can take five to seven days to get their coverage up. So we planned it so that that first opening week, we're going to get that buzz 24 hours before opening, probably some on opening night and then through all of opening week, which then should give the client enough time to funnel in tickets and interest through the rest of October. And you said something very interesting that I want to tease out more, which is the difference. As you mentioned, some people take longer than other people. And so you mentioned wanting to give everyone the same experience in media, but at the same time, there are, diff- there are real realities in-, in the difference of production. And how are you balancing those two? Carefully. <laughs> so- very carefully, because it's almost, <laughs> I feel like it's a little spreadsheet because you have your people that are just influencers. So they're really social media, live action based, and then mm-hmm. all the way up to broadcast. And then even on the other end of broadcast, there is people like Travel Channel, which require six plus months more and a whole separate filming date. So there's this huge yeah. timeline. There is. And um, I think you and I were talking Aubrey, earlier about Excels are still my best friend. I will forever be using an Excel because of the relationship that we have with the press. As soon as a press release goes out, most press are asking, all right, what do we have for media? If that's not the case, if it's if you are someone that's a new haunt or you haven't been face-to-face with press before, I'd recommend including details when you start to get responses from your first press release or when you ask for an RSVP for your media night. And that's something I think, Philip, you've seen in what we do. We always ask when that live date is going to be. And then we keep note of that. And our understanding of it, some bloggers are able to get it up in 24 hours, which is great. Social media, I mean, it's going to be live on site. That's terrific. Others, they do need the time and being respectful of it and knowing ahead of time, giving them a chance to tell you this is when I can make it go live. That doesn't work for you. Let them know, see what they can do to move their schedules around. But if you, that's why planning the first date is so important. And then you do have to be flexible and track it in your Excel of when others will be going live with their coverage. And what I like about that too is that you are keeping that relationship open with the press. I think this kind of seems counterintuitive because I feel like people think that we should be thanking the Han. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but (laughs) it also works the other way around. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) We thank the press. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time and choosing this date and this haunt to come and, and dedicate a post to or dedicate an interview to. If, if a client is newer, doesn't understand, we have to have a big conversation about how important that relationship is. And no one owes the client anything. And that's a, a key thing we, you have to keep in mind when you're hosting media, whether it's on the regular run of an event or prior to the event with a media night, the media don't owe you anything. And it's their job to give a realistic review. So making sure they have the best experience possible, starting with you and your conversations, and they feel like they know exactly what's going to happen, they have all the materials, and they're going to have an amazing time. That's what your goal should be when you're planning out how you're going to host media. 
especially if it's a newer attraction, you want to be able to showcase the covers that people have done. And you're rather than running around and Googling it and, and putting it all work, if, if they'll just give it to you, that's an extra step you don't have to do. That is so key. I'm so glad you brought that up, Philip, because that is one thing that really helps our team is when our press friends do send us because we've set that date. And so usually Mm -hmm. I wake up that morning and the coverage is in my inbox and I'm so excited because I have it. I can, we can review it and fact check it. Most of the time, of course, like Philip, you've done your homework. I would never have to fact check anything that you do, but sometimes there's some information, whether a date got written incorrectly or there's just something we have time to edit it. When you do have to fact check something, how does that conversation go? It happens frequently. We read everything that our press friends send us. We, we really read it. We enjoy it. We take the time uh, because you took the time to write it. We, we appreciate all of it. Sometimes what we found the best way to do it is in the subject line, it says urgent <laughs> or a requested edit. And then we just make it easier. So I will typically call out where the line is incorrect and I'll highlight it and then put the suggested revision. Because usually it's just the name of the title of something or a ticket price or a date. That way, they just have to copy and paste. I don't want to put any more work on what someone's already taken the time to experience and then write and then publish. So we usually just politely say, this is so great. We can't wait to share it. But we need you to update this before we can. Below is where the error was and following the correction. If you could just let us know and, and give it some time. Usually it's like within 24 hours, it's fixed and we can share it on social. And one more thing too, we didn't quite dig into, but why is it important to do a hashtag on your media night? Why are we even bothering with this? There's a couple of reasons. If you are using the hashtag from a media tracking standpoint, we can track and see who's using it. And then maybe we can get it trending. So then the general public, even if you're not following that hashtag, can pick it up, which goes into my second point of hashtags. Hashtags are supposed to be a way of finding something. So if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok and you're looking up Haunt or you're looking up Temecula, you want that hashtag to pop up so people can specifically look for keywords that will direct them back to your haunted experience. Can you give me an example of how you might craft one? So recently we've been doing two hashtags. So one being the name of the haunt and then one that will relate to the haunt. So Temecula Terror, one of their mazes is uh, 301 Hyde Streets. We're doing hide or die. We're hoping people that go and experience it can understand that they need to hide or obviously something's going to happen in the maze. (laughs) So finding something that is fun and playful, but maybe if someone looks up Hyde Street or if someone thinks of the maze or they look up hide and seek, it'll also be populated that way. However, Temecula Terror, the hashtag... Like it's, it says what the haunt is in the hashtag itself. So we usually come up with two and hope that those two populate to what our goals are and, and creating awareness that way. So how are you keeping up with people and how are you vetting people for the media night? I'll start with vetting because I think that's easier than how I'm keeping up. If it's a blog or a blogger I'm not familiar with, I ask them to share recent coverage or similar coverage of what they would be. So we have an idea of what their coverage style is. And then also their blog. More established bloggers, if we haven't heard of them, will have a media kit mm-hmm. or a media deck. If not, then just asking like what their viewership is, just having an understanding of what their level is. I love working with newer bloggers. I think when you have a new haunt and a new blog, the two can blossom together. I'm definitely one that's always, let's give everyone a shot. However, it's the coverage that is always most important. So if we know they're going to give 
so many photos and it's going to be so many words and their coverage is to the tier and the caliber that we want the coverage to be. That's how we we vet it most of the time. Like you are looking at what they are doing. Like yes. this is what they produce as a person. But then how are you navigating like all of the other numbers that people throw your way? Because metrics are like different on every platform. But what do you look for? So I also have a little cheat sheet because I have a media monitoring platform. Mm -hmm. So even what you said to me, I also cross-reference it with what our media monitoring platform has. I think a big one embedding is social media because mm -hmm. we're in the world of where people can buy followers and, yeah. and buy likes. Check the engagement. What we always look for based on how many followers you have, we want it to see at least 8 to 12% engagement. And that includes likes and comments. Uh, on on those pictures because that'll tell us that is relevant. You don't want someone who's got 30,000 followers but only gets 30 likes. That tells you maybe there's something off here. When it comes to podcasts, we are looking for new viewers and returning listeners. What are those numbers at constantly? Is it constant? Is it growing? And then same with bloggers. We like to see the, the unique viewers per month and really that it's relevant. If someone hasn't posted since last Halloween, I'm not sure it's going to benefit the haunt as much as someone who's been posting year-round. If you have a post from last week or you have a post from two weeks ago and then two weeks prior, to me, that means that you are in the space, that you're educated, that your review is going to correlate with your readers or you have readers because you're constantly posting. Yeah. So in the vet process, it's the date, the viewership, and then really that the coverage, like is the coverage going to be valuable if the other two check boxes? I, I think a lot of this, you are kind of trusting what they're telling you because there's not, even from a like backend point of view, like it, sometimes I don't even know because iTunes treats things differently than other platforms do and they count different things as plays. Like sometimes if it just auto downloads for a subscriber, even if they don't actually play it, it counts as a download. <laughs> To underline here, you are trusting what they are telling you when you ask them and you're like, what are your downloads? What are your viewers and whatnot? Because some of that stuff, it's not, even with software, it's not transparent. So you're kind of like just trusting what they say? <laughs> A little bit. I would say it is definitely. And then our clients are trusting us too, which is why you have to vet the other two. Look, look into if it's a podcast, does the podcast have social media? What is their social media yeah. looking like? Have they posted yeah. recently? Do a Google search. Is their name being popped up in other related haunts? Are they covering other haunts? I almost feel like a detective sometimes when it comes yeah. to a new member of the press and seeing how I appreciate when it is someone that's new and says they're a new blogger. They've just started this. And if they can be transparent from the beginning and we can negotiate what that coverage is going to look based on the value of the coverage we're getting. Because of the many years that I've had in haunted media, the reporting system after helps me a lot. For Temecula Terror, I have Temecula Terror as an alert. We use critical mention. So I can see how many views and I can see what that PR value is. So that also helps me if you don't get a return invite or the relationship isn't necessarily the same after I trusted what you had sent me. It's because I saw the numbers after you went live and it didn't align with what you said it was going to be. Those are unfortunate things that happen, but that's another way. Sometimes the vetting is after the story's gone. It's a lot more work if you don't vet people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's just a lot more. For me, it, it feels a little weird being a podcast we're not necessarily suited for social media. So it is mm -hmm. difficult for us to maintain a presence because especially Instagram is really big in haunts, but aud the audio medium is imageless. 
So it's a difficult line for us to thread because essentially we are having to make a social media account that is not what you are getting, you know, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Because we're, I'm having to take photos and do all this extra stuff for like our Instagram <laughs> stories that has, you can't see it when you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. And it's, I have a feeling metrics are going to start increasing and being better for the media sides. Podcasts are, are growing and they are becoming a really popular medium. And you're right. It's something that we don't really have nailed down. So it is individual research. You have to listen. I listen. And if it's a new podcast, I listen to the past two podcasts. 50% of podcasts have less than 30 views per episode. And then it spikes at the top three, 5% that have more listeners than CNN, basically. But Mm -hmm. the production quality varies wildly. You really hit the nail on the head with it. And any haunt, you need to do your research. Pay attention to those that are reaching out. If you know them or if you don't, see what they've been up to, especially this past two years. Listen to what they've been doing. And and you're right, Philip. Some just copy and paste what we sent out, which sure, maybe you want that for some awareness, but you also want someone to actually talk about their experience. You want the real reviews. You want to know that it's going to be a production value that is meaningful and valuable for your haunt. Because audience members that are listening in are going to pick up on, is this an ad and tune out? Or is this someone that's actually talking about something and it's an organic conversation that they can connect with? Today's episode was produced by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Stay up to date this season with our free weekly newsletter. Sign up at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts in our 61-day Hauntathon. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. We'll see you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.